Wait a minute. Didn't Snow White have seven dwarves? Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopters, the only podcast searching world cinema for helicopter explosions in film. Now, the buddy cop movie has been a staple of Hollywood cinema since the 1980s. Over the last 40 years, filmmakers have tried to freshen up the formula by giving us new wrinkles on the whole mismatched cops routine. For example, Turner and Hooch paired Tom Hanks with a dog. In Cop and a Half, we got to see Burt Reynolds' no-nonsense detective partnered with an eight-year-old kid. Less successful was the notorious Theodore Rex, which, for reasons unknown, teamed Whoopi Goldberg's law enforcer with a talking dinosaur. So on this show, we're looking at another of these variants on the form, specifically what you get when you cross a Hollywood buddy cop film with a Bollywood musical. So the film we're looking at is the Indian action musical mashup Doom 2. Joining me to review the film is my regular partner in cinematic crime, Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing very well, Will, especially after getting a chance to see such a magnificent film as this. Well, I mean, you were very pumped when I proposed talking about this film, and you were only three minutes into the movie when you felt compelled to message me to to let me know about your enthusiasm for this film. Absolutely. I, uh, I've never really seen a Bollywood film before, so I was excited to kind of break into the genre and that world with this film. And then three minutes in, I just – I couldn't believe everything that they packed into it. And I, ha- I was having a really awful day watching – like having a really awful day, and then I'm like, you know what? Let me watch this movie, and it picked me way up. I mean zero to 60. Oh, it was so – such a great decision. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad that I have introduced this film to you and that it kind of had that uh, that particular impact on you. But as we are, you know, looking at this particular film, and it is, a, a as I say, a mashup between buddy cop film and a musical, I wondered what your sort of favourite buddy cop film was and what your favourite musical was. My favourite buddy cop film, I'd have to go with Hot Fuzz, uh, the Edgar Wright film from 2007. While I think it's the weakest in that unofficial uh, Cornetto trilogy, I really do enjoy it. Um, it was after I had seen Shaun of the Dead. I'm like, oh, these guys also did like a cop movie. So watching them do that and kind of poke fun, but at the same time really respect it and follow through with like some of the tropes and cliches, turning them on their head. And of course, in jokes from the previous films, it really, really got me into like Simon Pegg. And Nick Frost and obviously Edgar Wright as well and kind of anything that those three are doing I'll definitely watch. But it's also been kind of fun too to see like where some of those actors have gone since. Like you have Martin Freeman in there, Bill Nye, and to see kind of where they go throughout their film careers too. It's like, oh yeah, I remember they were in Hot Fuzz or something like that. And it's just a funny film altogether. Like the scene where they're uh, talking to Stephen Merchant about a goose that like escaped her and and he's just like it's got a long neck like just just the absurdity of it like it's it's really a good time that's a movie that i need to go back and rewatch. i haven't seen it uh, for years and uh yeah probably tight as well overdue for a revisit i think but uh that's your favorite buddy cop movie what about uh favorite musical my favorite musical is Meredith Wilson's The Music Man. It came out in 62. Robert Preston is Harold Hill. Buddy Hackett is Marcellus Washburn. Growing up, I spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house, and my grandmother was into two things, Steven Seagal and musicals. 
she I'm, I'm trying to reconcile those two things but I'm she, struggling. Uh, yeah <laughs> she introduced me to like that and you know lethal weapon die hard all those films but she also had like this big Rodgers and Hammerstein's box set, and she also had like Singing in the Rain, a lot of those type films. But I always really stuck to the music, man. I've always really enjoyed the story of this con man who kind of rolls into town, starts up this make-believe band, and it just kind of gets everybody together through music, like just this random town. And there's so many memorable numbers in there. We even see a very young Ron Howard as Winthrop Peru. One of my biggest regrets in life is they had the the middle school I went to put this put on this musical and I didn't audition and I I kicked myself in the ass every day that I just didn't go, at least try to go be Marcellus Washburn and sing like Shapoopy and just go through that whole thing like I I really really loved it like it's just oh I think it even yeah it even won an Academy Award uh best Oscar for or excuse me an Oscar for best music scoring. It was actually nominated for a lot, too. Best Picture, Sound, so on and so forth. But I really, really love this movie. I refuse to watch any other adaptations. I know there was a more recent one with, like, Jason Alexander and Matthew Broderick. Uh, no, no thank you. Just give me the Music Man from 62 and I'm good. I have never heard of this film. I'm Oh, yeah. And given what you've just said about how its pedigree and the fact that it was nominated for so many oscars i'm 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 very surprised that it doesn't register anywhere on my on my film radar so uh, i'm I'm gonna have to go and investigate absolutely i mean a lot of people look at like you know state fair or carousel king and i south pacific the rogers and hammersteins are the type but nobody really kind of sidesteps and goes for these other i think more iconic musicals but Mm. what do i know and well and 62 i guess it's quite late in the musical cycle, really, because, I mean, musicals were pretty much on their on, you know, running on fumes in the 1950s, certainly by the, the late 50s. So doing a musical in the early 60s, it's a bit unusual. I mean, you're still getting quite a few in the 60s, but there was certainly as a, you know, I mean, in in decades gone by, they were an absolute sort of rock solid staple of Hollywood output. But now, if you look at it in 62, the landscape is changing because you've got films like How the West Was Won, Mutiny on the Bounty, To Kill a Mockingbird, Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. No, The Manchurian Candidate. So it's kind of that shift into something a little more serious, a little more action-packed, even absurd to an extent. The Exterminating Angel came out in 62, um, but – I guess their America was kind of shifting away from like the fun, happy, hey, here's a musical instead to obviously something serious like To Kill a Mockingbird. So it it could be a wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Okay. well, I am going to go and investigate that film. Good. Okay, I think it's time to get stuck into Doom 2. Hopefully between the time I record this and edit the podcast, I can find something suitable to insert here. He's the perfect thief. I think we'll have fun. Game's not over. Doom 2 came out in 2006. The name translates as blast or action in English 
as the title suggests it is the second installment in the doom series with a third film being released in 2013 in this entry abhishek bachan and uday chopra reprise their roles as buddy cops jay dixit and ali khan they're tasked with tracking down and stopping a mysterious master criminal known only as mr a who has been stealing high-profile treasures from different countries around the world after completing his latest robbery mr a finds out that another thief is using his identity to carry out crimes of their own Mr. A does not take kindly to his name being used in this way and engineers a confrontation with the cheeky criminal. The imposter turns out to be a rather shapely female thief known as Sunira, and the two lawbreakers decide to team up. The action then shifts to Brazil, where the devious duo are planning their next robbery, pursued by our cop heroes Dixit and Khan. We then get into a rather complicated third act where our heroes are trying to arrest their man and woman as certain double crosses are revealed. Doom 2 was a huge hit when it was released and in fact it received the widest release in Indian cinema history and the Doom franchise is one of the top five most successful Indian film series of all time. It was also a hit critically, with reviewers praising the film's sense of style and action-packed ambition. Doom 2 has a 77% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.5 user rating on IMDb. But so much for other people's opinions. Nick, what did you make of Doom 2? I had so much fun with this film, Will. It was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness it from the outset i'm like oh this is gonna be ridiculous and then like all this plot would happen and then here's a musical number and it would go right back into it boom musical number and it was so silly because at first i thought it was going to be serious uh it was that you know with the plot and the train and everything and he's coming down I'm like okay the action's going to be a little much a little over the top but let's stick with it and then it kind of takes a comedic turn when we're introduced to Ollie's character and I'm like okay this is going to be it's not like naked gun goofy but it's <laughs> it's it toes that line it's definitely in that sort of territory isn't it because i mean the the, the action is very over the top it's mm. very big and out there and exaggerated and it really it's not to be taken seriously at all Oh, no, not at all. You can't. There's no possible way, especially with some of the outfits during the dance numbers. And I even look, I'm like, what year did this come out? It was 2006. I'm like, oh, no, this makes sense. (laughs) This all makes perfect sense. But I'm absolutely with you. I mean, I think this film is it's an absolute riot. It's 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 an absolute load of fun. And I think what... Uh, sets the tone for this movie brilliantly is the is the kind of the opening scene of this film which is this heist scene where we see uh, the criminal Mr A steal the British crown jewels in a, a outrageous robbery involving skydiving uh, it also involves Mission Impossible style robber disguises uh, it also involves um, sandboarding off the back of a moving train uh, I mean it was really I mean it worked for me I mean how well did you know it pull it all off for you 
It just did. I I don't know. Just ear to ear. I could not stop smiling the entire time watching this film, even in dialogue heavy scenes where I'm kind of back and forth between what's on the screen and what they're saying, like reading the captions and everything or the subtitles and everything. It was just ear to ear smiles. And some of it was genuine. Some of it was, wow, like that was really cool or this is exciting. And other it was like, this is terrible. Like this is really (laughs) bad and I'm enjoying it so much. And it could be part of the translation too. something. Things just didn't work. But I also thought it was weird that it was it was cutting in and out between like English and I, mm. I'm not sure what specific dialect, but how they were kind of jumping back and forth. And I'm like, why? I'm like, well, pick one of the I'm not that I mind being mixed, but I, I kind of assumed they would have picked one or the other and stuck with it. Yeah, it was really interesting, that particular aspect of just how much English dialogue there was within this film. And mm. Uh, I, you know, I, I really don't know enough about Indian culture to, to understand if, um, you know, because of the history between Britain and India, whether actually within the Indian language of culture, so much English is spoken. But it, it definitely was a striking aspect of the film, just sort of how often um, certain words or certain phrases were were kind of like picked up or, or repeated. So, you know, for instance you know like the word cool is is always spoken as 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 a a, you know as as it would be in england or as it would be in america and you know they're they're not using a a local translation of that particular word yeah and it's and that would kind of throw me too there was one or two moments where i would kind of have to rewind i'm like okay let me kind of pay attention to what they're saying again because it does catch you off guard and then you wonder is it something that they – like you said, casual and something that always kind of happens or is it something they did specifically for the film? I noticed in a lot of the musical numbers when they would hit uh, an assumed chorus, that would be primarily in English instead of like Hindi or Urdu or, or whatever they were speaking, singing. So I just I just found it really interesting. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it would be, it'd be interesting to know. I don't know if there are any – uh, aficionados of, of Bollywood listening to this film that can uh, fill us in on quite what was happening uh, in the use of language in those sequences. I would be very interested to know. I'd love to to find out quite what lay behind the amount of uh, English in this movie, but uh, not a question that we can um, answer on uh, this show and at this moment. But uh, let's sort of go back to talking about the sort of the, the I guess the main plot of the film, which is you've got this these these pair of cops um you've got jay dixit who is i guess the the kind of classic straight man i guess in this buddy cop relationship and he's partnered with uh ali khan who is his sort of goofy uh sidekick who is generally always messing up or not or misunderstanding something with uh comedic uh consequences you know how did you find you know their you know their relationship and their interplay i found it fascinating but also perfect at the same time because you obviously have like you said the straight man the funny man set up but i was really expecting a moment where ali just kind of kept messing up and messing up and messing up I'm like, okay eventually he's going to do something right and kind of redeem himself but that never happens he really just plays the buffoon the entire time and jay just kind of puts up with it and it just kind of drags him along. And I'm kind of surprised there wasn't more conflict between the two, especially like in a film like this. I expected a moment where 
you know, Jay does something and Ollie gets upset and then they split and go their own separate ways and the plot brings them back. But that didn't happen. Their dynamic just kind of stayed the same. So I'm wondering if we see something uh, like that happen in the first film or even the third film of the franchise, if their relationship is just static and they know each other's place or if there is some dynamic just change there to kind of show growth. Okay, well, if you go and investigate some of the other films in the Doom series, you'll if you watch the first film, the, the Ali is basically he is a kind of a, he's essentially a criminal. He's certainly or he's on the fringes of the criminal circle, and uh, Jay Dixit uh, recruits him in order to basically get inside a criminal biker gang because Ali is a mechanic who is an expert on motorcycles so in that film there's lots of sort of you know motorcycle related stunt action and Jay Dixit you know his character forms this seemingly temporary relationship with Ali Khan in order to bring down this this group of criminals and so that then is obviously their relationship is continued in Doom 2 where we meet Ali again and he's now like a associate member of the uh, Mumbai police force. So you, you you do if you go back to the first film, you 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 will see a sort of progression in the, the Ali character. So he you know comes in from this unofficial role into being an actual sort of member of the official law enforcement agency. So yeah, you you will if you go and watch the other films of the series, you will get to see some of that growth. Okay. Okay. And and you mentioning him being a mechanic makes a lot of sense because I feel like he is either A always on his motorcycle in this film or talking about motorcycles in this film like that they really they really shove it down like hey he is into motorcycles i wanted to expand a little bit on the kind of the different you know the absolute melting pot of of influences in this film and the, uh, you know as we've already mentioned the beginning of this film starts with this outrageous high sequence in you know involving skydiving the robbery of the british crown jewels on this train it then segues into the credit sequence which is essentially a big dance number involving uh, some of the characters in this movie and we then segue into uh, an action sequence which reintroduces us to the characters of uh, Jay and Ali, where they're trying to instigate a sting operation on some criminals. And so we get to see a, a quite over-the-top action sequence there involving uh, jet skis and motorcycles and uh, <laughs> huge, huge explosions. We then segue into a sequence where Jay is at home with his pregnant wife and there's a whole sort of like uh, love romance rivalry plot set up where uh, another character is introduced, a, a, a very shapely, attractive female detective who is an old friend of uh, Jay's and it seems as she's going to be a sort of a bit of a love rival between, you know, for Jay, between him and his, him and his wife. I mean, I've never come across a film which is trying to, to mix high-octane action, romance, musicals, uh, and broad comedy at, all at the same time. It's a lot. It's a lot to take <laughs> in, especially in the beginning. Like you mentioned, uh, Mission Impossible-esque rubber masks. Obviously, guy is skydiving in and sandboarding, so there's like a kind of Point Break-esque 
mm-hmm. action going on there. Like there's just a lot that they pull from and put together, but it all works in, in, in this really <laughs> weird way. Like it, it, when Ali is uh, at the beginning, he he motorcycle rides. We don't know how he got on there, but some kind of ramp launches him onto a boat. A drug deal goes awry, and then all of a sudden Jay comes exploding out of the water on a jet ski. (laughs) And it's just like there are so many questions. We don't see the beginnings of any of these things. They just happen, and it just – there's this excitement, and there's this energy, and it just keeps going. And then when we get to some of the heist scenes – it, those are just outlandish for some of the ways they're pulled off, some of the gadgets and gizmos that we see. Like it just it, – it's it covers a lot of ground. I think the only thing we don't get is horror and mystery. I mean we do get a little bit of mystery, but horror is like the only genre that they don't touch on in this. I, that, that, is so, that is so true. That is so true. I mean this is – it is absolutely jam-packed and it is – it's an incredible feat, actually, how they pack so much into this film and it somehow all works without you thinking that this is a completely demented mashup of seemingly incoherent genres. And I think it's it's really that that tone which somehow is consistent throughout all of those different genres the 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 kind of the playful humorous tone is the is the sort of the single golden thread that runs through all of those different genres that somehow by some magic alchemy knits this absolute disparate mess of genres all together absolutely and then you throw in a uh, a maybe love triangle that doesn't pan out or go anywhere. And then later on, you have A and uh, Sonari falling in love, doing mm. their thing. And then there's this bizarre, almost like step up uh, or like uh, young love-esque, like p- very painful basketball scene <laughs> that is just – it's it's pure gold. It is absolutely magical. Like when it started happening, I'm like, okay, what's the point of all of this? And, and then it just keeps going and going. And it's in the film. The scene is. I think it's like almost a half hour. And it's so. <laughs> it is so painful and it's so long and it's in the rain the entire. It literally the entire time. That scene, it 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 literally makes no sense because it's like a a mini music video within the film. Because I mean, because the the the, it's absolutely chucking it down with artificial rain, which is beautifully backlit, and it's it's (laughs) it's such a sort of outrageous uh, flirtation between these these two two sort yeah. of crim- <laughs> between these these two criminals who are sort of uh, I, I guess essentially having sex through the medium of basketball it is bizarre it makes no sense but it's somehow completely compelling yeah and what's more amazing go back and watch that scene how their faces are not soaking wet i don't understand <laughs> Literally every part of their body, their hair, everything is wet except for their face. Mm. And I 
I can't understand how it happened. And and you also kind of bring up an interesting point. I'm surprised that there weren't more like winks and nods at like love scenes or potential like sex scene kind of things. Now maybe it's a a cultural thing there where they kind of shy away from showing that or even hinting that kind of thing. But like you said, the basketball scene is very heavily a metaphor for that. And then there's even some musical numbers where it just addresses that feeling of, you know, I want to be with this person, but I can't. I want to share my feelings, but I won't. And and even like a real cat and mouse kind of vibe throughout it. So that's that's a really good pickup that you that you uh, picked up on. Yeah, I I suspect that it is a cultural uh, a cultural kind of point that they they're not going to show that type of that type of stuff. Uh, I mean, there's lots of action in this movie, but I mean, I'm not sure that you ever see uh, a single cut or you see any blood in this in this movie. And it's, oh yeah, I didn't know I noticed that too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's 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 clearly going for like a family audience for you know the widest possible audience. So I mean, it's uh you you know, kind of yeah you don't sort of notice the absence of those things, but you know they are they they they're just not there. Yeah, and and now that you bring that up, like that makes a lot of sense because there's some uh some gunshot scenes. There's other things where you don't really see blood or anything i don't even think you see dirt or like grime on their face because there's a lot of instances where they're getting into fights and it can be very visible but well i, wow, think, I never thought of that I, I think one of the reasons that you don't see sort of dirt or anything in this movie is because it's such a stylized film i mean yeah. people can't uh you know our heroes or the villains can't enter a scene without there being at least three or four seconds of them being shot in slow motion whilst their hair is tousled by a massive wind-blowing fan or something and uh yeah they they all have sort of little musical cues which announce their their particular arrival i mean we talk about michael bay being kind of like an over-the-top over-the-top sort of stylist but i mean i i think even he could take some probably uh even he would probably watch doom and think you know what this is a bit much Especially when there's scenes where it's just maybe the camera's panning across like a city or there's cars driving by and you just keep hearing the words doom (laughs) kind of sung and whispered over and over again as if you're like, hey, don't forget you're watching doom. (laughs) Doom. Like it's it's so much. At some point I'm just like, okay, I'm going to mute this thing and just read the subtitles. It's a bit much. Now, as much as I loved many aspects of this film, I did think the second half and certainly the last act of this film, it did seem to me as if the film lost its way. And and I, the reason I think that is because there are characters and subplots that are set up in the first half of the film, which completely disappear. So, uh, for instance, there is at the beginning of the film, we're, we're introduced to uh, Jay's heavily pregnant wife who's about to give birth and he's also uh, we're also introduced to another uh, police official who is an old friend of Jay's and who it seems as if she's being sort of set up as a, a sort of romantic interest for Jay that he might sort of have his affections moved away from his wife onto, onto this lady she completely disappears out of the film in the second half and suddenly in the second half of the movie the film spends an awful lot of time concentrating on 
this relationship between uh, Mr. A and Sunira, who is this other um, female criminal, which, you know, as I say, the, the film just seems to sort of abandon one load of subplots to then explore a whole bunch of subplots that weren't set up in the first half of the film. Did you pick up on that? I mean, did you think that perhaps this film was just trying to be too ambitious with all of these different storylines? I I picked up on it. it was very slow. The second half, as soon as they get to Brazil, there's definitely a big change in pace. The vibe feels a little bit different. It starts to get sluggish and bogged down. But then you mentioning plots that don't – it didn't even dawn on me. I was having too much fun to even realize <laughs> that – you know, we never check in on Jay's wife, Sweetie, and what's going on with her. That whole, like, butting heads and, you know, mm. potential of an affair, like, that's just thrown out the window. Shanali and Manali, the, the twins, if you will, like, yeah. that that's just very much shoehorned in there. And at times it felt like it was just a completely different film altogether that you could have just had the story of A and Sonari kind of coming together and forming a partnership. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. We have this other thing going on. So it was really heavy footed. And while it didn't take me out of the film, it def I definitely felt like, OK, we're changing pace here. Like something's something's different. So, Nick, having yes. watched Doom, what would you say to somebody who is kind of intrigued by the idea of this film? But not necessarily kind of sold on the idea of sitting down and watching it. What would you say to that person? I would say just give it a try. It spans so many genres and touches on so many different film elements and cliches and tropes that there's something for everyone here. <laughs> watch it with a group of people too. Don't watch it by yourself. I had a lot of fun with this by myself, but I imagine seeing this with a group of people like really close friends, you have some pizza and beer or whatever your food and beverage of preference is, it, you're going to have a good time. You're going to laugh. You're going to point out some very terrible CGI <laughs> and it's you're just – you're going to have a good time, I promise. Even in the first three minutes, if you're not impressed by the first three minutes, then I don't know what to tell you. But I guarantee you're going to have a good time. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action, so don't go away. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk... Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Car. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This occurs towards the end of the film when Mr. A and uh, Sunira are trying to evade Dixit and Khan. There's a high-speed pursuit on motorcycles, and the action moves inside a long tunnel. A police helicopter lands at the exit, attempting to block the escape route for Mr. A. But with inexplicable good fortune, the rear end of a parked lorry provides a improvised ramp which the thieves use to jump over the parked copter. As they whiz over the top, the thieves drop a grenade onto the chopper, which predictably explodes a few seconds later. Nick, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? I, I was caught off guard by it. Uh, throughout the film, we see a lot of helicopters coming through, and most of them are aerial, but this one is parked. And I don't think I've ever seen... An exploding helicopter explode from on the ground. I've only ever seen them from up in the sky. So that definitely caught me off guard. 
but I was still very pleased. Just a real quick, simple boom, drop a grenade, but just that massive explosion. It was, it was very, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it just hit all the right notes. It was, it was just, it was just right. It was baby bear's porridge. It was just right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really fits into this particular movie because it's, uh, it's an over the top, outrageous action sequence. And after the helicopter explodes, we get to see uh, Jay and Ali. They're on their motorcycles, you know, pursuing Mr. A, and they jump through the wreckage of the uh, still exploding helicopter in order to continue their pursuit. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this moment in the film. Can I ask a question? And I know this is really putting you on the spot here. I noticed in this film that most of the helicopters were kind of brightly colored. We had white helicopters, Mm. and, of course, the one exploding is yellow. I feel like that is uncommon because I feel like most helicopters, it's like, you know, black or like a dark green or like a tan or something, more neutral colors. I feel like this, and it could just be because of the type of film, very stylized, very bright, that they had brighter helicopters in here. Is that, I feel like that's not common. Actually, that's a really good point, Nick. I mean, it is not common that you get... Uh, helicopters with the kind of bright livery that they have in in this particular movie so yeah in the helicopter get blown that gets blown up in this particular movie is uh you know it's canary yellow and that is that is pretty unusual i'm trying to think of other brightly colored helicopters that get blown up in movies and the only one that is jumping immediately to my mind is uh uh, one which your gran will be very familiar with um, <laughs> from the uh, Stephen Seagal movie uh, Exit Wounds. And uh, in that particular film, uh, Seagal shoots down a helicopter which has uh, one of those a big sort of acid house smileys painted on the side of the helicopter. The, 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 obviously, the smiley is yellow. The helicopter is painted red. And I think the words have a nice day are also point, painted on the side of the helicopter. And uh, that's the only sort of similar sort of brightly colored helicopter explosion that I can think of. You know, having you put me on the spot, that's the only that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Well, A, very impressed with you being able to pull that off the top of your head. And B, yes, my grandmother does own this DVD. And I remember seeing this movie with her at least once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a joke. She it is. She has problems, but I love her to pieces. Right. I think we are going to wrap things up. Nick, thanks for coming on the show once again. And Absolutely. having having heard you on Exploding Helicopter, I imagine our audience are going to be compelled to want to hear more. Uh, you know, so do you want to tell your new acolytes where they can find more of your voice online? You can find more of my voice online over at FrenchToastSunday.com. A uh, bit of a hiatus right now, but we're going to be coming back in strong towards the middle end of March. Uh, I hopefully this podcast is out by then so you can go oh great and go right over to there if not we do have some older episodes to listen to I also guest I would say borderline frequently over on the lamb cast uh, I feel like once a month once every other month I'm on an episode so feel free to check those out as well thanks Nick and don't forget to check out the exploding helicopter website where we've just posted a new review of the cult 80s action classic hard ticket to hawaii 
remember sharing is caring so if you can see it in your heart to give us a retweet like or a plus one we'll be very grateful we'll be back soon but until then keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Are you like checking me out? Tum ye mask ke piche se I hope not, huh? Kyunki agar tum aisa karoge, to mujhe bahut dukh hoga. Aur tumhe बहुत दर्द होगा चलने में भी मुश्किल होगी और वैसे भी तुम्हारा भागने दौड़ने का काम है मेरा नाम लेकर चोरी करने की कोई खास वजह यू वजह तुम हो यूर द बेस्ट आई मीन मेरी जगह कोई और होता तो कभी नहीं मानता लेकिन सुनहरी सुनहरी फैन है तुम्हारी लाइक फॉर एवर लेकिन तुम्हारे बाद इस दुनिया का सबसे अच्छा चोर कौन है सुनहरी ओके सुनहरी गोल्डन गर्ल जो रहती अंधेरी में है मगर सोचती है एम्स्टरडैम ऑस्ट्रेलिया अमेरिका इवन